Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the podcast ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramis, your host for today, and I'm speaking with Bob DeWay, Gospel of Grace's teacher and theologian and author of Critical Issues Commentary. In this series, we've been discussing CIC issue number 67, John the Baptist and Prophets to Nations. We've had, I believe, eight episodes already. And we kind of keep coming back to 1 Corinthians 14, and we're going to do that again today because it's really important that we understand what prophecy is. So you had just mentioned in between sessions here that you wanted to back up a few verses in 1 Corinthians 14 and bring out a few other issues regarding prophecy. So I will just have you start there. Okay. Well, see, we're trying to establish who this is that references the prophets who speak two or three. Okay. okay. Now mm-hmm. the people in the prophets and apostles movement claim that those are special people who have the ministry of, of a prophet, and then they assign various tasks to those people or realms of authority. And we've been specifically refuting the idea that there are prophets to nations. But there's more than that. We have people prophesying about all sorts of things, besides things that have to do with individual nations. And we've covered that in some of our previous episodes. But we specifically need to deal with some of the passages in 1 Corinthians 14, because they, as we said, use those to get off the hook as far as the standards that are laid out for prophets in the Bible. Okay. And specifically those in Deuteronomy 13, Deuteronomy 18. But the New Testament also talks about prophets. And my claim is that the office would have to do with the apostles and prophets who are the foundation of the church in Ephesians, and that that uh, foundation, the faith once for all handed down to the saints, was indeed laid once for all. And that throughout church history, we're building on that same foundation. Okay. So we don't have apostles like Paul or prophets that are speaking or doing the writing that are associates of the apostles in the New Testament. We, we have none of those because the faith has already been once for all handed down to the saints. So what we do have, though, is what I call the prophetic calling of every believer. Yeah, I hope everyone will go look that up, cacministry.org, issue number 95. Okay. The prophetic calling of every believer. And that is grounded in, I believe, gospel preaching. Right. There's no more important prophecy to be uttered than to declare authoritatively for God what has been revealed as the terms of the new covenant. Who is the Christ? And we preach Christ, who he is. The eternal son, the second person of the Trinity, who was born of a virgin, who lived a sinless life, who did many miracles, who was the very creator of the universe who came into our world, who was crucified, as he predicted, was raised bodily on the third day. He paid for sins by shedding his blood, 
once for all, appeared to many witnesses, and bodily ascended into heaven, where he's seated at the right hand of God, as Psalm 110, verses 1 and other passages in Psalm 110 have been cited often in the New Testament. That's the Christ. And so when we preach Christ, and we declare that he is the Lord, and that he is the Redeemer, and he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and that if we believe on him, repent, and turn to him, and trust him, that our sins will be forgiven, and that we have eternity promised to us in heaven. Okay. okay? Mm -hmm. We have eternal life. Now, that article that I'm referencing, issue 95, I showed that the Reformers at the time of the Reformation said that that was prophesying to preach the gospel. And then if the Pope had the gospel wrong, which he did, then they had the right to prophesy to him and tell him to repent. Okay. The prophecy wasn't resident in some church offices that would develop later in church history. And the authority was like, of course, the idea that, well, we do have apostles, they're the successors of Peter, and the reformers refuted that idea, rightly so, from Scripture. And therefore, we have the prophetic calling of every believer. And not only is it the term of entrance into the kingdom of God, but what binding and loosing is all about for those who are, are part of the church. Okay. Uh, what is the law of God that's binding on a church? According to Matthew 16 and Matthew 18, that was given to Peter and the other apostles. Okay. They are the ones who spoke the terms of the new covenant, what's binding, and what, where we have Christian liberty. That's an issue. Paul is dealing with that in 1 Corinthians before we get chapter 14. And so that's what prophecy is, is to declare the terms of entrance into the kingdom and to declare uh, valid implications and applications of Scripture, which reveal to us binding and loosing. Okay. And that's something we still do. Right. So do it based on the Scripture. Yes. Let me give you an example. I just, it happened Sunday. I preached on, I've been preaching on the armor of God. I just covered one verse Sunday. But afterwards, I was talking to a, a couple of ladies from the church, and the discussion came up about Christmas trees. Okay. Now, I don't want to have a whole radio show <laughs> on Christmas trees. But the discussion is essentially binding and loosing. Okay. All right. And it's this way. One was saying, well, the, the whole Christmas thing is pagan, which we know it is. Right. Uh, the, the celebration, the day, the 25th, many of the fables that have come out throughout the centuries, throughout world history, when wherever Christianity has gone, there's all these customs, fables, ideas. Some of it is just fantasy for kids to have fun, like Santa Claus and his sleigh and his reindeer. That, yeah. Uh, and, and so on and so forth. So, and then, but one of them is the tree. So people get trees and they put them in their house. Mm -hmm. And they love to decorate them as part of a family tradition and, uh, that is used in our society to, for people to have fond memories of growing up and fond, fond memories of family. And so the issue comes up, is that a sin? 
Right. Have you heard that? I have. And it seems like it's hotly debated on social media every Christmas. Well, I don't have social media, so I just had a couple of people in church to talk to. Yeah. Yeah. And here's the deal. Uh, the tree idea originally was came up, somebody came up with it, pagans, undoubtedly, mm-hmm. uh, and so on and so forth. And so then there was a discussion. One person that I was talking to loves having a real fancy tree. The other one was rather skeptical about it. And I, I said, well, at one time I was totally skeptical. I wouldn't have anything to do with it. <laughs> I can vouch for that. Yeah. And I said to uh, those two ladies, I think what we need to argue here is what's binding and forbidden and what's part of Christian liberty. Okay. What sort of claim are we trying to make? Yeah. And if someone says, I don't believe the tree signifies much of anything other than that's how we like to decorate our house this time of the year in the winter. So the kids have something nice to have fun with. Mm-hmm. And I like having a tree, and I like, I think it really makes winter more tolerable. We live in a yes. northern part of the climate. And I like to decorate it, and, and that's my fun. And I'd say, well, that's the right claim. If you're going to claim Christian liberty, you got a pretty strong claim. Okay. And I said, the way I would analyze that is like Paul and the meat offered to idols earlier in Corinthians. Okay. Because what he did with it was uh, they'd make their offering and then sell the meat in the meat market. And Paul okay. made his own binding and loosing. Of course, he's an apostle. He said, if someone says you, to you, here, here's the meat. This is our offering to the God. Don't eat it. Right. Because that's, that's violating your conscience and it's giving the wrong idea to whoever offered it to you. Right. You, you want no part of that. Right. But you go to the meat market and there's a nice slab of meat. And because the slaughterhouse was also the place where they did the offering in that case, that may have been where it came from. Probably was. He said, don't worry. Just buy it and eat it. Don't, don't worry about it. Right. Don't ask questions for conscience sake. So if, if your tree doesn't signify, you're not claiming it's offered to idols. Mm-hmm. Okay? You're not claiming to believe anything other than the incarnation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you're not even claiming it happened on December 25th. And you're not right. claiming he uh, ordained trees being brought into the house. And you're not making any claim. You're decorating your house. It seems to me that's a matter of Christian liberty. Right. Have you have you heard well, about? You're just you're just as free to not have a tree either. Right. There's no requirement to celebrate Christmas. There's no requirement to have a Christmas tree. You're free to celebrate Christmas. You're free to not celebrate Christmas. What we're not free to do is judge our brothers and sisters in Christ on a matter of liberty. Right. So, Jessica, in this little discussion, the one I had Sunday, uh-huh. the one you and I are having, that is prophesying. Okay. I, so yeah, I hadn't thought of it, but yes. And I went back to scripture about the meat offered to idols and described some biblical categories. Okay. With, you know, forbidding or permitting, that's what binding and loosing is. And we had a nice discussion. 
Yeah. Now, that's the sort of thing we're talking about here, but not everything is as ordinary as Christmas trees in the discussion, but the terms of the gospel come up. And yeah. who really is Christ? There are false teachers who claim that Christ was a created being. They have to be rebuked. Right. Okay. So yeah. everything that has to do with our mutual salvation is under discussion, and the binding documents are Scripture, and from them we do our prophesying. Right. And so once we determine if this is correct, that it's a matter of Christian liberty, with the caveat, we're not making claims of things that are knowingly false. Right. That's just kind of the process. I'm not here to start getting emails rebuking me because, <laughs> frankly, I don't have a tree in this house right now. So. Yeah. Just uh, an example of how we work through these things by studying things God's word. Yeah, how we do it. So, but the weighty matters are the terms of the gospel and what is or isn't sin, which we were just talking about. Okay. And what are valid implications and applications of Scripture? Now that, I'm saying, applies to every believer, not just certain class of persons called prophets. Right. All right. Now let's back up. We, last week we talked about verse 29, 1 Corinthians 14. I want to go back to verse 24. Okay. And try to put a little context to these prophets in 1 Corinthians 14, 29. Okay. Let's read it. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 24, I think it's a New American Standard I printed it from. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all, he's called to account by all. Let me stop right there. So if you declare something binding, if you declare that only through Jesus Christ and him alone can one find salvation, forgiveness of sins, and entrance into the kingdom, then that's calling somebody into account because they may think all paths lead to God, right? Right, okay. right. Okay, but it says, they call, but that's called prophesy, prophesy, prophecy. Okay. If all prophesy, that's the verb. Verse 25, the secrets of his heart are disclosed. Disclosed. Well, stop there, because we're talking about false prophets. Mm -hmm. Remember last week, Jessica, you mentioned that somebody said, well, you're supposed to, if somebody has a good heart, then that makes them a true prophet, even if they give false prophecies. Right. Well, let me discuss this, okay? Okay. Last week, we claimed that only God knows the heart. Yes. So some of the false prophets take this verse, 25, 1 Corinthians 14, and claim they know what only God knows, and they can declare the, the contents of somebody's heart. Oh. I've heard that. Yeah. Now, is that what Paul is thinking about here? In other words, somebody visits church, a prophet stands up, points to the stranger who came in and says, you last week shoplifted at Target. Right. And then the guy is convicted. And, I've heard people make that kind of claim. Yeah. Well, or you hear that in the, their big meetings too. The Lord has told me someone out there has 
they'll name some very vague sin of which the chances are somebody in that audience of 3,000 people has done. Yeah, somebody out here lusted. Right. Okay, uh, somebody out here coveted his neighbor's hot car. <laughs> yep. Whatever. Now, but this is more specific because it's talking about in the singular, an okay. unbeliever or an ungifted man. Singular, the secret of his. So you would be specifically talking about one person mm -hmm. and what they did, if that's what it means. Right. I'm saying it doesn't mean that. Yeah. Because I believe that the Holy Spirit is working through people speaking forth the Word of God, bringing out these gospel preaching is prophesying. Yeah. And the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes to the unbeliever through the Word of God, powerfully preached, and then he's convicted. Yeah. In other words, the secrets of his heart are exposed in his conscience that I can't be like this. I can't live like this. Right. I'm not serving God. I'm going to hell. Yeah. That happened to me the day I was saved. I knew it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Before, he knew what secrets, although even we don't even know our own heart completely. Right. But now he's convicted. Okay. All right, let's go on. So that he will fall on his face and worship God. You know, if you weren't repentant and you came in and you had shoplifted at Target, God forbid, and somebody said, hey, you shoplifted at Target, you'd be mad and you'd go out. Yes. Because you don't want that. You'd say, what are you doing talking to me about me like that and then leave? So it isn't like a parlor trick where you know something you couldn't have known. Right. I know you've got... Uh, I've even heard prophets do this. He thus saith the Lord, or however they pronounce it. You have one quarter, a dime, and three pennies in your pocket. I even okay. heard that kind of thing. There was a story about it. Maybe they're just urban, urban myths. Is that what they call them? Yes. Stories about it would float around. Oh, look at I do. Wow. Yeah, this guy knew what I had in my pocket. I heard that at a meeting. I said, wouldn't the guy know what was in his pocket before there was a prophet? Right. <laughs> he didn't need that information. It's yeah. worthless. It's a parlor trick. Okay. Mm -hmm. So he'll fall on his face and worship God. Well, obviously he's convicted. Right. Okay. The unbeliever isn't going to fall on his face and worship God unless he was smitten by the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Right. And he's converted. And that's what God does. That's what God does. And this is what Luther and Calvin talked about in the writings that I quote from them at the time of the Reformation, uh, that go back to the time of the Reformation, in an article where I did a research about how did the Reformers understand prophecy. Yes. Okay? And God is among you. So that's how people find God. Right. That's how they get saved. And that doesn't have to be in it. It might be out on a street corner talking to an evangelist, so it happens. Right. I saw that. Oh, I've seen that happen many, many times, many times. I've even mm -hmm. seen it happen over the internet. Now, verse 26. What is the outcome then, brethren? First Corinthians 14. When you assemble, each one has a psalm, a teaching, has a revelation, 
as a tongue has an interpretation. Now that was the context. No tongues without interpretation should be in the vernacular. If everybody there speaks the same language to start with, then that's all you need is that language. Right. Okay. Uh, let all things be done for edification. So this is for convicting the lost and the edification of the saints. Okay. Right. But notice there, it's not restricting this to a certain class of persons. No, there's nothing in this text. text it's not restricting that. It's, it to known prophets. Right. And the outcome and the content, the term revelation here doesn't mean that you're like John the Apostle on Patmos. Okay, right. It, it means an un, literally uncovering. Mm -hmm. So we're bringing out the text and making it plain in people's sight. Okay. We're bringing out the meaning and implications and applications of what God has said once for all. All right. So the word revelation has a range of meaning. The false prophets assume that people don't know enough about hermeneutics and language to know about range of meaning. So they pull out the word revelation, pull out the word prophet, and say, therefore, it's about people like Elijah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel or even John the Baptist. It's got to be about a prophet, a, a someone in that office, and the term revelation has to mean something newly revealed, never before spoken or known. Right. That's okay. how they apply it, but just a plain reading of the text makes it pretty clear that's not what Paul is saying. Right. So, good point, Jessica. So, when I say range of meaning, that doesn't mean we can't know what these words mean. The context tells you what it means right here. Right. Okay. So if you read in the Old Testament and Elijah declared something and it was something that otherwise wouldn't have happened or wouldn't have been known, the context tells you that Elijah is uniquely a prophet of God. Right. But in a, in a context here where it says you can all do this and this is what happens, it would assume that the gospel is being discussed in this meeting. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that every meeting's like this and that you can't have a lecture or a sermon. Some people have gone to that extreme. Okay. They won't even allow a preacher at their meetings. Right. Everybody gets to talk. We do that when we assemble, but that's not the limit. We do that in our Sunday school. Yeah. Everyone can stop and ask questions or bring out things and prophesy like this. But we still have, we have preachers. If you go in Acts, Paul preached so long, a guy fell off of a windowsill. <laughs> yeah. You can't tell me they didn't have any long sermons. <laughs> I'm not using that as an excuse for me going too long, but you can have both. All right. So hopefully we're learning here. Okay. Now let all things be done for edification. Let me just look at that one, apply it to this teaching about prophets. Okay. How is it edifying for somebody to prophesy that Los Angeles is going to fall into the ocean 
and suitcase nuclear bombs are coming into the city. That was prophesied in 1997, by the way. And I happen to live in Los Angeles, and the person doing the prophecy sometimes has been right, sometimes has been wrong. So what am I supposed to do? What action am I supposed to take? Right, you couldn't know. Well, if you sell your house and quit your job and leave Los Angeles and go somewhere where you don't have a job and don't know what you're going to do and don't have any friends and family, and then Los Angeles is still sitting there decades later, mm -hmm. how's that edifying? It's not. All it ministers is fear. And, and it's never going to convict you of sin or no. sin righteousness or judgment to come. It's just if you start thinking critically. You just start thinking anybody claiming to be a prophet is nuts. Yeah. A lot of people start thinking that I've heard from them. So what's right. wrong with people? Okay. So that's not edifying. If you are hearing this and I'm sure the false prophets aren't listening to us, but people who get stuck under them or know people who are maybe listening, Judge it by that. Is this edifying? Right. Knowing what God has bound and knowing what God has made Christian liberty, it's edifying. I'd say that discussion I had with those two people was edifying. Right. Because For... it's comforting. Yes. God's not going to judge me because I decorated my living room in a way somebody else doesn't like. Yeah. The other person's thinking... I, should, I need to give people liberty in how they decorate their house. And it's edifying to the church. Yep. Okay, does that make sense? It does make sense. All right, now, <laughs> that's a long way to get, but this is essential because I want this grounded in Scripture. Okay. Now we jump to where we were. Verse 29, we covered last time. All I right. Three prophets speak. Who are these prophets? The same people mentioned 1 Corinthians 14.24 if all prophesy. Right. So the people so in the church. People in the church, in this case, wants to get up and speak. He's saying two or three, so that if 20 people gave different things, it would be way beyond whatever the topic was, even know how to judge it. Right. Be confusing. So it's limiting it to what can be judged. Okay. If two or three speak, the others pass judgment. Now, how do you judge something? False prophets say, yea, thus saith the Lord, uh, so-and-so is going to win the election. Okay. Okay, so how do you judge that? Well, and that's, that's really tough, especially when whoever they said doesn't win the election. But we can't go to God's word and know if that's true. Well, yeah. Or uh, how about this, which is very typical in some of these meetings. Someone says, I think the Lord, or the Lord is saying, and then the other one says, well, I don't think God said that. And so you have the subjective, what I feel and what I think, judging by the other subjective. That's not what I feel. That's not how I think. Right. And you have we no need, standard. We need to be able to go to God's word and say, based on this passage, here's what I, how I think this applies. And the next person can say, oh, but what about this one over here? And you hash it out. Yeah. Someone can be, have a better reading by seeing an allusion to the Old Testament. Yeah. One of my favorite events that happened to me in seminary, my favorite teacher, Dr. Versaput, who's now with the Lord, but mm -hmm. we were studying something in one of the Gospels. And 
I said, isn't that an allusion to Isaiah 6? And then we went and looked at and the professor said, that's an astute reading. Yep. I like that better, even better than getting an A, which I was like, wow. He thought I had an astute reading. Yeah. Because it, it, it fit. In other words, the Isaiah 6 passage, I can't remember what verse Matthew we were looking at, or what, I think it was Matthew. It was a, a reading that made sense. We do that a lot in our church. Right. And we still I, have the astute reading award. Yeah, and so if somebody does that, I remember what happened. How that made me feel great about being in a class when the, the professor said that. I point that out. Somebody has an astute reading, and usually everybody will notice that. Yeah, wow, that yeah. was a good reading. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. All right. So that's how that works. So the others are not just other prophets with some particular office. It's the others in the assembly. Okay. Okay, I think we're making sense. Verse 30. But if a revelation, now here, range of meaning, uncovering, what does that mean? Okay. It's not a okay. prediction of the future because the subjective can't judge the subjective. Let me explain. Somebody says, God told me the price of gold is going to go up from where it is now. The other person says, God has told me the price of gold is going to go down from where it is now. Okay. Well, how do you judge that? You can't. It's the subjective and the subjective. And the subjective can't judge the subjective because it's something that exists in the mind or of the person. Right. There's no objective outward standard to tell what to think about it. Now, if it was just a discussion about gold, somebody could say, well, here's this factor and here's this factor. But then you're an investing investment advisor, not a profit. Right. All right. Let's go on. Okay. So, so the revelation is an uncovering, apocalypto. It's the noun and the verb form. Here is the noun form of apocalypse. is made to another who is seated. The first one, we keep silent. In other words... Don't grab the mic, but they didn't have mics back then. And say, everybody's got to listen to me. Here's what I say. Here's what I say. Here's what I say. And somebody else has got to, wants to point out something they may have missed. Then you allow them to do that. You don't just hold the, the podium or the place of speaking. Yes. Make sense? Yep. So just, okay. this happens in an orderly manner. Yeah. In a Bible study, almost everybody's been in one. Yeah. Verse 31. For you can all prophesy one by one. And you do it in that manner so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. So what's happening? People are learning the word of God, I believe, and they're being exhorted. Edified. Yeah. Verse 32. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't mean some secret thing that only the prophets know and the others don't. And they okay. can get their little prophetic company and they talk with each other. The rest of us don't get to know anything until they come out and tell us what it is. Okay. It means you can't just start shouting something out, maybe in some language nobody knows. That was discussed earlier in this chapter. And say the Spirit says, and the Spirit's speaking through me, I can't stop. I have to just keep doing this. Right. 
I've seen that. It doesn't work. Yeah. No, you can decide to be silent because you've got to be in charge of what's coming out of your mouth. Yep. All right. All right. Okay. Thanks, listeners, for allowing me to go through that. I hope it edifies someone. That I think backing up to that verse 24 really makes that whole section very clear. So we can conclude that the usage of 1 Corinthians 14 by people in the Apostles and Prophets movement is false. That's right. And we are judging them. We're judging their teaching to be false. We are doing the true prophecy right here, right now. We are prophesying. And I can, by the authority of Christ, say those people who are claiming special status to speak beyond Scripture, binding revelation, whether spoken to geopolitical entities or things about what's going to happen in the future, and they have shaky or false Christology, I can say on the authority of God's Word, they are false prophets. Do not listen to them. All right. Amen. We are out of time for this edition of Critical Issues Commentary Radio. And we want to remind you that you can access this program and years worth of others and many, many articles at the CIC website, CICMinistry.org. And we want to remind you too, as it says in Philippians 1.27, stand firm in one spirit with one mind and strive together for the faith of the gospel. For Critical Issues Commentary, this has been Jessica Kramus. And Bob DeWay. We'll see you next week.